Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Austin, Texas. I'm joined by Yin Yin Lee from Evanston, Illinois. Uh, and I, as I was texting Yin Yin last night, we we could hardly believe it. Mid-season meet week is upon us. Uh, we are already at the traditional halfway point of the NC2A college swimming season. And we are going to start this breakdown off with just a little preview of what to look forward to this weekend. I think the meets, a lot of the meets will either start Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Uh, and there will be quite a few meets to pay attention to and watch. We will have all the coverage for you on Swim Swam, but we're going to dive into a few of the meets that we're most looking forward to watching this November. Uh, Yin Yin, do you want to start us off by your most anticipated meet this week? Hmm. I'm looking through the meets with the top top um, 25 teams. And meets like Tennessee uh, with UVA and then NC State with ASU and NC State, I'm not looking forward to them in the same way that I was looking forward to them in previous years, just because we've seen a lot of these teams like UVA and ASU post midseason worthy times at dual meets. And I'm questioning if they can replicate this in midseason. And quite frankly, I'm not, I'm not super confident about that. I don't want to expect too much, but so I'm more so looking forward to meets like the OSU invite where we're getting teams like Indiana, Louisville, Notre Dame, who they had, I mean, a lot of them, they've also suited up and have gone super fast, but not to the extent of ASU or UVA. And I'm also pretty excited for the Georgia invite because that's going to have Florida, UF. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Michigan's at midseason with the Matt Bowie effect, Auburn. So those are probably the two midseason mates that I'm most excited for, just with good teams that maybe haven't fully shown their cards during dual meets. Yeah, I feel like that is kind of the uh, downside to this uh, upping of the ante in uh, for college swimming that we've been seeing where teams are, are suiting up for a lot of dual meets. They're swimming really fast in season. And again, the downside to that is that the midseason meets are probably still going to be fast and people will clock faster times, but they won't be that much faster in some cases. Um, so I'm kind of with you on that in that, um, the Tennessee invite is going to have Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, among other teams. And I think especially for Virginia, we we've kind of seen them already go really fast. I don't know how much faster some of them can go, uh, as well as the, uh, NC state invite that we'll have NC state, Arizona state and Virginia tech. It's like Arizona state has suited up for every meet and, while I'm, I'm confident they will get some rest, uh, I don't know how much faster they can go, but inevitably I think, you know, there will be fast times no matter what. Uh, I'm really excited to see what uh, Virginia Tech's defending NCAA champion, what's his name? Yusuf Ramadan. <laughs> Yusuf Ramadan. I'm sorry, I had a total brain fart. I'm like, I know he's from Egypt. I know he won the 100 fly. Uh, Yusuf Ramadan, I'm excited to see what he can do at that meet. Um, I'm excited, most excited though, for the Texas invite because I'll be there. Uh, yeah, and duh. 
<laughs> and so not only will I get to see it, but um, I think we'll get to see three of the most intriguing teams this season so far, which are, well, actually, we'll get to see a lot of intriguing teams. So we get to see the Stanford women who uh, suited up, I think, less than a month ago and went really fast. And so, and you know, that, that is a team that has lost a lot of firepower. So we'll get to see kind of where they're at midseason, which is not usually super fast, but we'll see if they can kind of one-up themselves from that dual meet. We'll get to see where the Stanford men are, uh, who have also lost a lot this semester, and kind of kind of get a, I think, get a better feel for where they might uh, be able to end up at the end of the season. We'll get to see the USC women, who have been on fire this season, and we'll get to see them go head to head with the Stanford women who we've been comparing them to a lot. Uh, and then we'll get to see the Texas men, you know, suit up and get some rest, hopefully, which, you know, they've kind of had, they've also lost a ton of firepower and they have a couple star freshmen, but we're still kind of like, where will they end up? You know, maybe somewhere between 12 and six, but like, we're not really so sure about that yet. So I think this will give, a better idea for a lot of those teams. And then obviously the Texas women who are the strong number two favorite at this point in the season and, you know, could end up challenging Virginia at the end of the season if, if they're firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I think the Texas invite's going to be a little preview of that Pac-12 championship battle on the women's side between USC and Stanford. That's, I think if obviously Texas is going to be thrown in there as this big buffer team, but if you look at the scoring, if you look at the head-to-head matchups, you'll see a lot of what's to come at Pac-12s. And Coleman, going back on to your point about how this is the one downside of swimming fast all round, I still think I'd rather have fast swimming to look forward to every week than waiting all the way until mid-seasons. And I think it, it does this whole idea of swimming fast all the time might take a little bit of the spark out of mid-seasons, but I still think overall is a good thing because you're getting more fast swimming overall. And it's not like mid-seasons isn't going to be fast. I still think it's going to be, we're going to see a lot of nation leading times or top nation top five times from mid-seasons. It's just, it just might not have the spark that it has had in past years. And I think, if we, but if we still like weigh out the net gain and the losses, this is still a good thing that what we're seeing this season. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd rather have fast swimming all year round and, and have mid season. You know, I, I would say about five years ago, you had this thing where there were, there weren't a ton of fast swims in the fall, but then mid season would come around and everyone's throwing down crazy times. And I would much rather have this scenario where, you know, in the men's 100 free, we've already seen multiple 41s in season. In the women's 100 free, we've seen a freaking 46 and multiple 47s. You know, it's like there's already been a lot of fast swimming. I think this will be even faster swimming just by not as much. So mm -hmm. I, I'm totally with you. And uh, to, so I, I'm going to let you talk about this article that you just wrote um, on the trend in college sports <laughs> because I have a little... I, I have a little insider information that I believe, mm. or so I've been told, the Friday night session of the Texas invite may be may have a little twist to it. It, it may have some some special uh, bangs and pows. 
as it were, um, which I'm really excited to see. I don't, I don't know exactly what yet, but we've already seen Texas have a really fun and exciting uh, dual meet format with Virginia this season. We saw that them do that with Virginia and NC State last season. This season, they're hosting their own invite, and so they, they've told me just it's just the Friday night session finals. They at the time I talked to the coaches, they were like, we still have to okay it with the other coaches of the invite, but like there might be, there might be some, some special happenings and some, uh, you know, ISLE cool, cool things happening. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll, we'll report more as we know it, but, um, you know, that, that's just kind of going along with the trend of these, uh, non-revenue college sports trying to up the ante for themselves. I mean, to be fair, I think we're still eons away from a lot of the other non-revenue sports that I mentioned in, well, in the article that I wrote. But, I mean, I, I do like Texas' mindset. I think they've been one of the leaders in trying to make swimming more of a, an event rather than just a meet. But, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for what Texas has offered. They've always stepped up. Yeah, so that that should be good. That's that's our little midseason preview. Um, once again, you can follow all the action on Swim Swam uh, meets. I think every meet kind of has their own schedule of when they're starting, but usually it's either Wednesday evening we got a couple relays, or Thursday morning with the first prelim session of this week because this is the first midseason week. Uh, I also want to mention we didn't talk about one of the top teams which is Cal, because their midseason invite will happen the week after Thanksgiving as they will yeah. be going to Minnesota, which some teams do, and uh, it seems to work for them. And But a lot of teams, I think, prefer to, to do their midseason meet than get out of town for Thanksgiving. So moving on from midseason, uh, we saw a couple, I think, significant records go down. The first one was, was, was very big. Uh, Luka Mihatovic broke his own 1314 national age group record in the 500 yard freestyle. He went 417 in the 500 yard freestyle and he's 14 years old. Let, let let's let that sink in. His old best time in national age group record was 422. So he dropped 5 seconds from that. Uh and then and then we had uh we saw Leon Marchand in a dual meet go 44.6 in the 100 fly he broke his team his teammate Ilya Karun's brand new school record in the 100 yard fly i had written as the question for this which record is more impressive and i feel like that's a bad question but let's just talk about these records uh yin yin <laughs> these these two records mm. give me your thoughts on them yeah i was going to say like this is a no-brainer. Of course, Luca's record is more impressive. But just when you think about the fact that he's 14, he is 14, and he is going for 17. But not, not, not just this time isn't just impressive for him as a 14-year-old. It is impressive. Period. When I rank, when I ranked um, senior boys in the class of 2023. If you go sub 420 in the 500 free, I'm considering putting you in the top 20. But there's a 14-year-old who's going 417. Just 
I don't know. It's very, it's very hard for me to grasp. And I, I'm not, I'm not surprised that it's Luca doing this out of all people, considering what he's done in long course and short course over the last year. But it's just, this just goes, that's just some perspective to show you just how insane this time is. And again, the, the fastest, the second fastest person in his age group, um, uh, he went for 24-7-9 and Luca's just so, so far ahead of everyone else. It's like giving Katie Ledecky. Um, so it's funny that you make that comparison. Just to give a little more context, right now, Luca would be ranked in the top eight uh, in the nation for college swimmers <laughs> yeah. uh, with his time of 4.17. So that just, and he's 14. He is four years away from college. Um, but second of all, you made the comparison to Katie Ledecky, which certainly for his age group, he's far and away past everyone else. But there were a lot of commenters on this article who were like, this kid's going to make the Olympics. And like, mm. he's, he's got the trajectory. And I'm, wow. I'm curious on your take because I do not see that happen. Like mm. maybe there's a small chance, but like this swim doesn't say to me, Oh, he's got a shot. It's like, I think he's got maybe a, a, as good of a shot as like a, another college swimmer who goes 417 or, or like maybe a little more, but that that's not that was not my first thought. I mean, I don't think he's going to make the Olympics based off of 417, but I think when you look at his long course times, I think there's an outside possibility in the 800 free just cuz that's a that's a pretty weak event on the men's side, so I can I can see it maybe happening in that event if this event ends up being considerably slower than it already is or if he has another big drop, because right now he goes seven, seven fifty, fifty-eight, seven fifty-seven in the eight hundred, but and it's probably gonna take like a seven forty-nine, seven forty-eight-ish to make Paris. So if he if he drops, if what it takes is a few seconds slower in in twenty twenty-four, or if he drops a significant amount of time, I can see that, but not in any other event, not in the four hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I just I don't I don't see it for him yet. Sure, sure in the future, but like in you know he's got eight, seven, seven-ish months, mm, seven or eight yeah. months until trials, and I think the U.S. distance U.S. distance swimming is kind of finally starting to catch up um, in terms of you know people making finals at World Championships and people actually going you know, fast times. I think we saw that at world champ trials this year. It's like people, people are kind of catching up, um, to where I think Bobby Fink has like put it, put the marker way out here and people are finally starting mm -hmm. to raise their own bar. Um, especially with that distance training team that we've got out in Southern California with David Johnston and, uh, Will, Will Gallant, Michael Brinnaker now, Ahmed Hafnawi, who we'll get to right now, honestly, um, Marwan El Kamash. You know, it's like I think, I think American distance is finally kind of getting some depth, and I think Luca would have to make a big, big drop on a big, big stage uh, for that to happen, which is not impossible. But I don't. I thought the commenters were a little premature on this one. 
Yeah, I mean, but aren't aren't they always premature? <laughs> it's good point. You're you're not wrong there. Uh, so we we mentioned Ahmed Hafnawi. Uh, we reported that he's no longer in, at Indiana. Oh wait, do we have uh, to talk about Marshawn or? Uh, we can talk about. <laughs> what what do you think about Leon's forty four six? Does that tell you anything, or is that just par for the course for Mister Marshall? Feel like I feel like I saw this coming. It it was only a matter of time before he swims every single all event and just gets super <laughs> ridiculously fast at it. I mean, he goes one thirty nine in the two fly, and he's pretty good at the hundred. So forty four six a hundred fly, but yeah, typical Marshawn. I feel like that is just something that's pretty, that's so crazy. You know, like we saw Phelps go really insane times in in mid-distance events, and then he could come down for hundreds and like sprint quite well. And he was also a much more long course focused swimmer. Um, and so that's very different. But like Leon has the fastest 50 breast split of all time, you know, yeah. as well as throws down an elite hundred fly an elite hundred bat. You know, he can just, he can do everything and his range is so wide. So, I don't yeah. think, I don't think there's a single other person right now who's so good across all four strokes in both the 100 and 200 distance. Because when you think about it, his 100s, he goes at 50, 50 point, I think 50.5, 100 breasts from mm -hmm. the opening half of his 200 breasts, 44s in the 100 back and fly, <laughs> and then 41.6, I believe, in the 100 free. But then you got the 200s. Well, he goes a 128 split in the 200 free, 130 off a flat start, 139s in backstroke and fly, and then 146 in 200 breasts. There is not a single college swimmer, male or female, that's as elite in all four strokes the way that he is yeah and and i realize this is short course yards but no it's like i don't think there's ever been any swimmer who could do that even if you adjust the times for like you know if, if it was ryan lochte a decade like ryan lochte in yards was completely dominant was way ahead of his time when he swam in college from 2003 to especially his senior year in 2006 this is not this is not that this is like so much, so much crazier than that. Um, yeah, I mean, across, and you know, that's why this dude goes 328 in the 400 IM. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's wild. The, you know, the 100 fly, I don't think he's going to swim the 100 fly at NC2As. I don't think this is like a, a huge surprise, but like you said, I think it was a matter of time until he swam every event. We saw, we, we've seen him swim the 100 fly and he's, currently the ASU school record holder. I wonder how long that record will last. Do you, do you think it'll get broken before Pac-12? I mean, it, but it'll probably get broken this weekend, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll ultimately get broken and not be Marshawn's record at the end of the year because Ilya Karun's going to swim the 100 fly at NCAs and Pac-12s and the Marshawn Wall. I don't think he'll swim it ever again this year. <laughs> Which is kind of a shame, but, you know, every time he swims, it's good. So mm. we can't complain. Now we are moving to Ahmed Hafnawi, who is no longer competing at Indiana. Uh, he, is, he is training out in Southern California under Mark Schubert at 
the swim team. Um, they, the, the TST, the swim team, provided the following statement. Ahmed's trip to reconnect with friends was a warm reminder that the bonds we form in the pool are unbreakable. Just as we would graciously open our doors to any swimmer, we extend our support to Ahmed as he continues his training. It is our understanding that he continues to be enrolled at Indiana University. The swim team remains committed to fostering an environment where athletes can chase their Olympic dreams without compromise. That so is we, such a long-winded answer with not much to take. Agreed. Uh, this, so, this is like a typical swimming moment. It is. Yeah, I mean, and you know, they're uh, they're obviously um, trying to be diplomatic about this, mm, but yeah, again, so typical we, swimming moment. <laughs> we think. Half Nawi is still enrolled in, at Indiana, so still taking classes there. He's not competing for them. He's training with his old Indiana training partner, Marwan El Kamesh, as well as, as we mentioned, David Johnson, Will Gallant, Michael Brenniger. Quite the group. Uh, I'm curious as if you think we will ever see Half Nawi pop up just in the NCAA again, let alone at Indiana, after after this move that we really don't know much about at this point. You see, I had a gut feeling that Hafnawi leaving the NCA would happen. And because he's so good right now on a long course stage. And I just don't, I just don't think, I, I'm not saying this is the right move because I personally think it's possible to be dominant in long course and in short course and still do fine at international meets. But I just don't think that's what he wants. And we've seen it a lot with people like Peter Kotze, uh, Masuik, Matt Sates, decide, a lot of these international swimmers deciding to dip um, from the NCAA and just not really prioritizing the NCAA in this Olympic year. And given how high caliber of a swimmer he is already internationally, I just, I just, I ha just have a feeling that he's not going to be coming back especially not in this olympic year yeah i mean it's it's curious because he was training in indiana all of last year he finally made his racing debut got one meet in and then said all right that's it for me um and again we don't know the exact reason of why he departed from indiana however i don't i don't see him coming back this dude's an olympic champion he is probably a hero in his home country uh and he just had a sensational world championship uh where he nearly i mean he swept the distance free he nearly swept the four eight and mile he has a very good chance of doing that next year in paris and honestly if, if i was in his shoes i'm like yeah i'm gonna focus on the olympics and try to make a lot of money you know and like if i win three gold medals and repeat as 400 um olympic champion it's like i'm he's probably set for life and i can't blame him for you know going to this training group and seemingly focusing on long period. um so yeah i don't i don't necessarily see a reason for him to come back to the ncqa uh Especially because if he, if, yeah, again, if he has a good Olympics this year, he could retire. Like, he doesn't even need this swim anymore. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it's like, this is kind of his moment. And um, if I was him, I'd put all my eggs in that basket, too. 
in some lighter news, uh, deaf world record holder, former LSU Tiger, Matt Klotz, uh, was on Big Brother, and he finished in the runner-up position, second place. So he did get one of the cash prizes. Uh, we had sink, we had sunk or swam that uh, in a previous breakdown. Um, I don't know that I have much to say about this. I thought it was really <laughs> cool that uh, a foreign, you know, that is this that a swimmer. He was representing the deaf community. He was representing the swimming community, and he finished second on this, you know, really popular um, big reality TV show almost finished first i think that it was a jury of seven members who cast the final vote and he lost two to five so it's like you know that's that's pretty close but uh i i just wanted to get that news out there for for any of you listening yin yin any thoughts on big brother and matt class before we move on to the next um, topic are you getting him on the podcast at some point we are trying I've talked to his representation. They said he'd be interested. Um, so I think we are, we're going to try to get him on this week. Um, I would be really interested to hear just this whole, you know, this whole experience. It's, it's like uh, survivor or the bachelor, you know, it's like, it's a big reality TV show and it's an elimination show and he made it really far. So he probably has uh, a lot of insight that a lot of other people don't. He's also, you know, <laughs> hard of hearing slash deaf. And so I know a quote that I saw was he had to make himself um, be really social because he couldn't hear 85% of the conversations in the house. So, you know, I, I think he would provide a really unique perspective on a podcast. Yeah. Um, I hate to make this negative, but I think to me, my biggest takeaway from Big Brother and the enormous popularity that Matt Koss has is that we're, we're still in a phase where swimmers the only way that they can be trending is to do something outside of swimming and that doesn't translate an interest in swimming because you've got like so many people know matt klotz who matt klotz is but are any of them going to be paying attention to lsu swimming i don't think so it's like i know there's a reason for all this and i know swimming is not a good entertainment product and blah 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 but i don't know it's, it's just sad to me it's not just Matt Klotz. You see it with a lot of other, a lot of other swimmers who make mainstream news because of for reasons outside of their swimming. No, it's it, and that's a great point, right? Uh, I was I talk to you know friends or people I meet often about my job and what I do for work, and they're like, maybe they're like, oh, have you interviewed Michael Phelps? You know, but it's like <laughs> I'll even say Ryan Lochte, and they'll be like, I don't really know who that is, and I was like you know, he like had that whole Olympic yes. debacle in 2016. And they're like, oh yeah, that guy. Mm. I mean, like that's, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind when people think of a, a, a really transcendent swimmer. Um, it, they, I, I think that's the thing. They have to transcend swimming. Yeah. And swimming is very prevalent. I feel like swimming is not a sport that's like unknown to the, general public it's you see you see swimmers in like so many tv shows and movies i i, I know in never have i ever tv show one of the main characters he was a swimmer but the show clearly didn't have any understanding of swimming and just it, it's there the, the awareness is there but the the connections between people's general understanding of swimming versus what swimming actually competitive swimming actually is it's, it's not there Agreed. 
and uh you know i think like we talked about before like the article you wrote it's like i think swimming can do things to to heighten itself and make it more known and more fan friendly but you know we talk about this every week i think until that yeah. happens it's gonna be hard vicious cycle <laughs> uh all right next up uh just you know some more news that happened this past week we had three new members added to the 2023-2024 national team that was david curtis rachel stegi and Paige madden and that was for their swims at the pan-american games they were previously not in the top six in their respective events but because of their swims at pan ams they moved into the top six and usa swimming had included the, that clause that if people swam really well at Pan American Games, uh, they will they will have the opportunity to be included on this year's national team, which I think is just really great. Uh, I love, uh, I guess, contrast to Olympic trials or something like like that, where it's like very cut and dry. Top two make it, the rest don't. It, I think with a national team, it should be a lot more inclusive because a you get health insurance. You get to go train at the OTC. Uh, in some cases, you get money or, or monthly stipends, uh, and you get the opportunity to go to meets like World Champs and Olympics, but also like Pan Ams or World Cups or you know just any kind of meet where you get to represent the USA. Uh, and you don't have to be on the national team to go to World Cups, but mm-hmm. you get the point. Um, so I think it's really great that they included that knowing that Pan Ams would be a meet that a lot of swimmers do focus for and swim really good times at. Yeah, I don't really think there's much to talk about with this. It makes sense why they would add these swimmers later on in the year after the national team uh, lineup got released just because it is a different year with a big meet happening later on in the year. So, yeah. All right, USA Swimming, good call. <clears throat> Way to go. All right, that's that's our big news for the week. Uh, let's round things out with some sink or swim. First up today on sink or swim, oh, the Cal Women's Class of 2025 just keeps growing. Uh, last week, we saw number two, Tegan O'Dell, make her very anticipated commitment to Cal. We were after we saw number one in the class, Alex Shackle and number three in the class, Claire Weinstein, both verbal to Cal. We were very curious as to whether Tegan O'Dell, who is a California native, would follow suit. And she ended up doing just that. They also got a commit later in the week from number seven, Annie Chia. We had written an article if if this was the best class ever in the history of recruiting, swim, swim, recruiting ranks, I'll, I'll say. After Tegan O'Dell made that commitment, I feel like Annie Gia kind of sealed the deal, but sink or swim, this Cal women's class of 2025, best class ever. I mean, I think it's a little, it's a little unfair to compare this class to some of the other classes that are pretty strong. I'm thinking about Stanford's class of 2022, some of the UVA classes in the past, Cal's class of, I think, 2016, the, the one with Abby Weitzel. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this is a very different situation because Cal didn't 
get that many recruits in 2023 and 2024 with the whole Terry McKeever situation going down. So they're kind of starting on a blank state and they have all the scholarship money. And once once Shackle committed, the ball started rolling and they got one, two, three, seven, which is insane. I, I can't. I Plus, can't like, believe... honorable mentions and a couple exactly, in the teens. Exactly. Yeah, I can't believe 75% of Swim Swim readers thought UVA's class was better than Cal's class because it's just in general for men and women. Sorry, because... the, the UVA men's class of 2025. No, they, they were saying that, like, overall, men and women combined, UVA was better. And I think it was I see, heavily I see. weighted by the... Maximus Williamson and Thomas Hillman. First off, you've got to consider that I think at this point, women's recruits just have more are have more potential and impact than men's recruits because men's recruits are much more predictable, and a lot of it is reliant. A lot of their potential is reliant on how much they improve in college. But swimmers like Tegan O'Dell, Alex Shackles, Claire Weinstein, they can. They can score immediately They're off of that, which, yeah. which I think is why you can't really compare male and female recruits. But then, just but if you want to compare them, I just think women's recruiting classes, especially super stacked ones like this, are just objectively better. And with Cal, even on the men's side, they've got they've got Norman Klontz, they've got Kenny Barnacle, who are pretty good men's recruits. So, just overall, I think they're a better class than. Virginia and the woman are carrying a lot of weight. Yeah, I don't think. Please correct me if I'm wrong in the comments or Yin Yin if you know this. I don't think any class has ever had a one, two, three. Not uh, that I know of. Commit, which like in in the again in the swim swim ranking era, and that you know that is historic that's insane to have yeah. all three top recruits go to a school that got like what ninth last year like <laughs> you know their current state of the women's program is not it, it's not a top three or top four program yeah. and obviously now it will be in a couple years but uh or one would hope but yeah like you said it's like they're they're like an nba team they had a complete rebuild. They have no stars and they have a ton of money. And it seems like they went out and really used it wisely. Uh, and that is going to build a ton of momentum for them moving forward. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, th I'm with you. I don't think you can compare women's recruits to men's recruits because those top three women could go to NC2As right now and score. Whereas... <laughs> Uh, I think Maximus could. I know Thomas could. But yeah, like, but not that's very not, rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That the the women would score way more points yeah. than the men would. So, uh, yeah, I'm. I I guess I don't even know if he answered the question. I'm swimming this. I think mm. it is. It's hard to compare, but like one, two, three. I, I'm gonna give it to him. I think this is the best. Yeah. Recruiting class we've ever seen. Yeah. Next up, <laughs> another very subjective question uh, that our own gold medal Mel asked this past week. F plain and simple, is Katie Ledecky the greatest female swimmer of all time? I I bet Mel just made that headline just to bait readers into commenting and 
discourse and i mean it always works so i'm i'm gonna swim this and i know some some of the older people who read swim swim and watch this podcast are gonna come at me for saying that i'm I'm too young to understand the greatness of tracy calkins and but to to me it's simple katie ledecky is the most decorated world championship swimmer of all time and i i know swimmers in the past um only got to swim at worlds every four years but in addition to that She's also the most decorated female swimmer at the Olympics when it comes to individual gold medals. She has competed at three Olympics as heavily and has won gold at all three of them is heavily favored to win gold in Paris 2024. He, she is arguably the most dominant distance swimmer ever. And what she's done with the 800 and 1500 free is something that no other swimmer has done. And just when you talk about dominance, longevity, holding all the records, she's got it all. And to me, she's the greatest female swimmer of all time, no question. And I know, I know we, some people made the argument that she's not versatile enough, but I don't think greatness has to be defined necessarily by versatility. If versatility makes you great, then so be it. That's part of the reason why Phelps was great, but ultimately the reason why Phelps is the GOAT is because he won gold and was versatile. Maybe that's, maybe versatility isn't Katie Ledecky's way of being great, but her way of being great is also something that no one else has ever done. So I think even if she's not versatile, there's still a pretty good argument to make for her. Totally. Uh, I th- Yes, I'm swimming this all the way. I think we measure, we measure greatness by t- t- how many times you've been to the top of the mountain you know she's has seven individual gold medals at the olympics i think but she's the the winningest she has won the most gold individual gold medals um of a female at an olympics uh most world championships past phelps it's like we think phelps is the greatest not because he was versatile but because he won 23 gold medals and that took versatility obviously but it's because of the gold medals and Katie Ledecky has the most. Uh, she's set so many world records in season at the end of the season, like you name it. She always goes fast. She has always blown away her competition, especially in the longer events, you know, and towards the end of her career, people have started to catch her, but she's still in the game in the, and that's in the 400 free, right? In the eight and the 15, it's like no competition. She has like the top 30 times of all time. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a really, I think you could make arguments for other people. I think she could retire right now and still be the greatest at 10 Olympic medals, even though there are three other women that have 12. There's a strong chance Emma McKeon gets, she has 11 Olympic medals now. She could get more at this Olympics. And so she could, you know, pass Katie for that one. Um, but I think Katie's going to get past 12 Olympic medals. I think she'll win at least three medals in Paris. And I think that will like really cement it as just, all right, no argument. She's the best. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, for me, it's a, it's a swim all the way. And finally, uh, this is a this is a pick your own, choose your own adventure. We've got three choose options. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> this was this was our uh, 
our poll last week on Swim Swam, and it is, would you rather see skins races like in the ISL, super finals like at the Virginia-Texas dual meet, or golden races like we saw at the World Cup to make a college dual meet more exciting? Okay, absolutely not golden races. They're way too confusing. I don't even fully understand what was going on at the World Cup. Um, I think, and I think I think mixed races are fun. I don't think they're exciting. Yeah, they're not. I think mixed races are a goldmine for swim nerds who like to think about, oh, is it better to have a male breaststroker? Blah 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 blah. Um, but in terms of a for a general audience, I don't think they'll be super interested like, in talking strategy for that. Like it's great to see a male swimmer, a, a male anchor leg, like running down all of these female legs just cause it's parody. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's like 10 body lengths behind, but he's gonna, he's catching them. But like, that's so rare in a mixed yeah, race that it's not, like, you can't no. depend on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna go with super finals cause I think it's it's really simple, all or nothing, head to head. You're really only focusing on two top swimmers, and I don't know. It it was fun to follow at the UVA Texas meet. I think skins skins is fun as well, but I also think skins drags on for a long time, and you're not getting. I don't know. For me, I like looking at times, and you're not getting the same super high quality times at in the later rounds so that's not super that's not super appealing to me i know it, it is for a lot of other people who don't care as much about time but for me super finals it is yeah i i think it's really interesting that 64 percent of our audience said skins like that was the majority favorite mm -hmm. even though ton of people in the comments crap on isl and we're giving me flack because i kept bringing the isl up and oh my god innovative and cool so screw you guys the mm. isl is cool but also but i wouldn't pick skins because like you said i i enjoy watching skins but for a dual meet where it's like a this compact environment uh and you want to you want to be spiffy and spaffy and you want to keep it moving and fun if you put skins on a one minute interval, I think that'd be fun. <laughs> like, yeah. like not three minutes, but like, all right, you swim a 50, two people or four, how two people get eliminated. And then you get right back up on the block and swim another one. Like then you would really have to strategize and like figure things out. But, but then it, it would ultimately just come down to the super final. So just have the super final. Um, I yeah. thought, I thought Virginia and Texas did a really good job of that. I think I also think anything you can market do that and they did a really good job I think for, for being really the first people to do this of marketing it because it's like all right we're gonna see Gretchen Walsh and Emma Sticklin Hunter fly you you know it's gonna happen right so it's like I'm gonna tune in because I know that I'm gonna see these two swimmers go head to head and that's what I want I don't really care if it's like oh they're gonna swim 350s and then they're gonna have to strategize and it's like i just want to see florent manadu and ben proud swim a 53 you know it's like i i don't care about the other you know yeah so i thought the super final was a really good thing and then you get to see a lot of people uh race in that format whereas skins it's like all right we're doing a 50 free 
And I know they did um, other strokes of skins in later seasons, which I really liked. But again, it's like it's one race versus lots of lots of races of really top tier swimmers. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's I'm with you. I think super finals. I, I hope they continue. I hope they're a trend that we continue to see in dual meets. But there you go, people. That's our news this for this week in swimming. Thanks for tuning into the Swim Swim Breakdown, and we will see you next time. Peace.